You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Hello everybody and welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven, and normally Arthur Parkinson. But today, because we're concentrating on veg and cooking, actually Arthur's not here, but instead I'm joined by Anna Greenland, who I met several years ago. We'll chat a little bit about how we met. And the reason I wanted to talk to Anna is because she's got a new book out, literally in the last couple of weeks, called Grow Easy and it's organic crops for pots and small plots and it's just to me just feels so current and like as we go into winter and then planning through the winter to to emerge as wonderful new butterflies of new possibilities next spring Anna's book will be there to help us and whether you've got a large or a tiny space I found this book just full of really fantastic ideas and I've been growing veg now for 30 years and yet there's still things that I learned. Welcome Anna, I'm absolutely sure lots of our listeners are going to learn lots of things from you and it's an exciting book. Oh thank you, no thanks for having me on. Um, I've been listening to you and Arthur on many of my car journeys recently so it's nice to be here. Oh, good. Well, that's um, the feelings mutual. So I, um, I first met Anna actually. Well, I think I first met her properly when she was gardening and doing the veg for Soho Farmhouse, which is the amazing Soho House chain. Their sort of outpost in, I think it's sort of Oxfordshire, Gloucestershire border, and. I remember Anna taking me round by then really pretty new veg garden and I'd already been growing veg for some time and particularly salads and herbs and things like that. But uh, I remember coming away thinking I'd learnt more in that hour with Anna than I had from many vegetable growers that I've met over the years. And that's why I thought it'd be really lovely to get her on. And I'll just tell you the two things I learned, because then I'm handing it over to Anna and we'll stop rabbiting. But uh, she taught me about growing the crimson flowered broad bean undercover, under plastic or glass as an edible flower to be able to pick from March until sort of May. And we've done that ever since. And I love it, scattered over salad or scattered over risottos. And it looks wonderful and tastes deliciously beany and is there for a lean time of year. And the second thing is she taught me about the wood sorrel called Iron Cross, which again comes up now as we go into the down season, the lesser season, and crops if you pick the leaves lightly pretty much all the way through the winter and then it dies back in spring. And it's beautiful. It's like a a four-leaf clover, but tastes of wood sorrel, which of course I'm sure lots of you know already is edible with a really strong citrus flavour. But this one has got a sort of cross of crimson on the leaf. So it's incredibly good looking, very easy to grow from a tuber, in fact, I think, and deliciously tasty. So Anna, a welcome, welcome again. (laughs) (laughs) But tell us what you've been doing, you know, since Soho Farmhouse, etc. Yeah, I mean, I'm amazed. That's that's wonderful that you remember those two things, actually, because um, yeah, that's a good good memory. You obviously sort of have those key moments where you think, 
hurrah, you know, that's something I want to try. Yeah, new things. I'm always after new things. Yeah. That knowledge came from from the memoir, actually, from working with with Raymond Blanc. They we used to grow beans undercover there, um, and it worked worked really well. But yeah, Soho Farmhouse that was quite a mad mad ride, really, because I come from from Raymond's garden, which was obviously so established and you know thirty years old and just abundant and beautiful to this sort of muddy field in the Cotswolds and Soho House wanted to set up this garden there with about three months to go I think I think I started in the February and by June they wanted a sort of fully abundant garden for their opening so wow and and got given a lot of builders to help me do it (laughs) which is not ideal you know you sort of want plants people on side really but yeah. But yeah, we we did it. I think you you did see it in the sort of the earlier stages, but um but no, that was it was I think the attraction of that was a a blank canvas really and doing something from scratch. And then I left there. Um I sort of spent about two or three seasons there just getting it established. Um and then we we made a move to Suffolk actually because I'm from East Anglia originally and um we've taken on a sort of a renovation project we're, we're doing up a, an old threshing barn and we've got about an acre of land which the plan is to turn into a, a market garden it's slow slow progress and um, the, the soil is is not easy it's been farmed pretty intensively with wheat and beans and you know that Gosh. traditional sort of conventional farming mix it's quite heavy clay so it's all very compacted and definitely a challenge <laughs> So um, I've got my work cut out, I think. Where is it in Suffolk? We're near, we're sort of between Woodbridge and Framlingham um, and we're about 20 minutes from the coast. Um, okay. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's beautiful. It's a, it's a lovely part. It's actually got some hills, which for Suffolk is, is rare. It's normally very flat. But it's, um, yeah, we, it was a spontaneous move really, but we just, we just found it and we just fell in love with it instantly and didn't really think about all the sort of the, the yeah the implications of the difficult soil and things like that but I think you know with good compost and and good mm. a lot of TLC you can bring back most soils I think to, mm. to to something kind of fertile so so yeah that's the plan and I think to to run some classes and courses there I guess something that you know a lot about <laughs> yes and concentrating on the small scale is that is that your thing exactly yeah the crux of the book. And I think, I mean, I, I, it was interesting because, you know, the book really came out of lockdown and suddenly I had this sort of huge interest on my, my Instagram page, you know, just, I've been thinking about doing a book for a long time, but I hadn't sort of really kind of nailed the concept of it because I felt like, you know, so many things were well, they just sort of, there were so many gardening books out there already with great information. And then lockdown happened and I was just bombarded, you know, with my direct messages with just people asking such simple questions, which to me felt like simple questions. And it almost felt like, you know, there wasn't a need for for a book like that. But I realized, you know, friends, even friends living in London who had never expressed an interest in growing anything, you know, were completely sort of urban creatures and were suddenly ringing me in a panic about their, you know, their slug munched seedlings and people that I never would have expected. So, and and then, yeah, the Instagram thing sort of blew up and it just seemed like there was this real need for very sort of 
basic information about how to grow. You know, people didn't know what potting on was. They didn't know what pricking out was. They didn't know, you know, they were sort of accessing gardening books. But, you know, it felt like maybe there was a need for something that was very, very simple, which really kind of went back to basics. You know, how do you grow from scratch in a very small space in a, in a few pots? And that's sort of how the, the book came about. So, and I think, you know, linking to that with what we're doing in Suffolk, I think, you know, there, there's a need for, as, as I'm sure you found as well, you know, people wanting to start veg gardens for the first time and just wanting that basic information, really. So, so that's sort of how it all, how it all kicked off. And when do you start gardening? When did you start? How did you get into it? I actually started down in Cornwall many moons ago. I hadn't planned to be a gardener. Um, my parents were keen gardeners, but it, it was not a, an interest that I had really. I, I did journalism at university and I'd been living in London, but I sort of found myself in Cornwall. I'd met someone who uh, lived there, so moved down and I was waitressing at J. I, I didn't know what I was going to do. Journalism jobs were a bit thin on the ground in Cornwall yeah. <laughs> um, at that time. And I got a job with Jamie Oliver. Um, he just opened 15 Cornwall yes, um, yeah. in Watergate Bay. So I was waitressing there, actually. And just I kind of fell in love with the ethos that they had at the time of supporting local produce, local suppliers. And there were some wonderful local organic farms. And they would come in with sort of armfuls of, of produce because it was a big open kitchen and they dump everything on the path and you know mm. the chefs would run over and get really enthusiastic about all the all the produce and and I think as as waitresses we were we were very much brought into that you know there was no separation so that's kind of that's where I became interested in in the produce and then I was also growing in my own gardening Cornwall as well just some basic herbs and tomatoes and things and I just got the bug and then from that started working with some of the the local organic suppliers and just sort of fell in love really with it all and got a polytunnel and then started growing for 15 actually so they were really supportive which was lovely so I'd I'd be growing in the day and then I'd load everything I had a little beaten up old fiesta I'd load everything into the back of the, the fiesta drive it to the restaurant unload run into the loo wash my hands Gosh. get my waitressing gear on and then I'd be serving up you know and then and they were the menus were really interpretive so it would say things like Anna's beetroot or and and so I'd be actually serving up the food that I'd grown that day which was pretty exciting Amazing. so that's where the sort of the chef connections came yeah and so then did you go from there to Raymond Blanc's place or was that a sort of direct route so I actually then realized that I actually didn't know very much at all. And I was kind of scrabbling around, even though I somehow was managing to grow things, I still felt like I had a hell of a lot to learn. And so yeah. I actually got a job in the vegetable garden at the Lost Gardens of Heligan. So that was the next step. Um, okay. And I, I wanted to sort of work in a professional garden where, you know, I could be taught exactly how to do things, you know, in a certain way. And, and for Heligan very much... Um, you know, everything was planted yeah. within a centimeter of, you know, everything was so exact and so precise. And, and so it was a really good grounding, actually. And obviously, you know, wonder, like magical, magical gardens and very atmospheric. So, yeah, that was a, I think I had a couple of years there and I was still growing a few bits for the restaurant alongside that. Right. And attempting to do some cut flowers with your book, actually. Um, but, but very, oh. um, 
very basically. But no, that was, I think I had your book, Joy Larkham, and maybe a Charles Dowding book. And that was my sort of initial education really in, in growing. That, that takes me on to another question I wanted to ask you, which is, um, you've always been organic, haven't you, Anna? You've always sort of gone for that route rather than maximum production, maximum flavor and being organic. Yeah. Yes, I have. I think it's just always felt instinctively the right way to do things for me. I mean, I've sort of grown up a bit of a country girl. I, you know, I have a great appreciation of the natural world. And I, I don't know, I, I think it just never made sense to me to to use chemicals and on something that I was going to eat. And I think mm-hmm. also those initial growers that I worked with in Cornwall um, very much had that ethos. And so that, that was quite influential early on. But mm. But no, instinctively, it's always felt like the right thing to do. And I think, you know, again, the, the books that I initially was drawn to with Joy Larkham and, and, and yourself and Charles and, and people like that, you know, it, that felt right to me, really. And, and, and as soon as I started, you know, it's funny because it doesn't feel dif- difficult to me. You know, that's how I've always grown. You know, it, it just feels like the, the natural way to do things. It doesn't seem you know, I can see that things grow well that way. So there's no need to to do anything else, really. Yeah, yeah, totally. Tell me, Anna, also, I, I noticed that Raymond Blanc has done the intro to your book. So you then went on there and you obviously had a, a very uh, constructive relationship with him. So maybe, could we, will you just tell us a little bit about that? Yes, yes, of course. I'm sure you've met Raymond and... Um, yeah, you know his his sort of character, but he's pretty. Um, I mean, he's incredibly inspiring to work for, and also totally mad in terms of yeah. you know his the speed at which his brain works and and the ideas that he wants to implement in the garden and passions and you know it, it wasn't just signing up for a standard head vegetable gardener role. There was multiple pro- projects on the go. I think when I was doing the garden there. He suddenly signed up for a TV show with Kew Gardens and I was suddenly expected to design the veg garden at Kew, you know, do all the research for the television show for him and then be running a vegetable garden. Meanwhile, he's setting up a heritage vegetable garden with Hartley Botanical. Mm. And, you know, so there's (laughs) lots and lots of plates to be spun. Um, But it was such an incredible opportunity and his passion is infectious and, you know, it's it's so genuine, you know, I think sometimes, you know, if somebody is that successful, they sort of lose touch with perhaps what they originally created, but he's there every day, pretty much, you mm. know, out in the garden, wandering through, trampling mm. through, I should say, the, the vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it was, it was, it made a huge impression on me. And, and I think his, his, his enthusiasm for varieties and flavor and taste testing all these different things was very new to me you know sort of I I guess in the past I would grow a few different varieties of things but he wanted to grow 20 different varieties of things and and taste test them all and um, to get that very best best flavor so yeah yeah and, and then also working with a kitchen of that caliber and seeing what they could do with the produce was you know it's a it's an art form really so yeah, that was a bit a real highlight for me of, of my career. And despite the sort of, yeah, the phone calls at 11 o'clock at night saying, oh, I'm just, I'm in, I don't know, I'm in China. I've just discovered this variety of pak choy. I think we should grow it. <laughs> um, but that kind of all added to the, to the fun. Yeah, really. absolutely. But I can't believe 
because you certainly look so young. And how old are you, in fact, Anna? Because I can't believe you've packed all that in when you look about <laughs> twenty-three. Not. Oh, that's lovely to hear. But no, I'm I'm pretty ancient these days. Well, I'll be forty this year. So, um, Will yeah, you? Gosh. and um, okay. I just had my my daughter, who's two now. So it's um, yeah, I'm not yeah. I'm not a young buck anymore. But um, <laughs> well, it must be all the greens you're eating. <laughs> yeah I know well maybe that's it I don't know yeah. you can't see my I think being in the sun for for that many years I've got my mum's voice ringing in my head saying wear a hat wear a hat but um uh, yeah. no when you're outside for all those years it does take its toll yeah so let's move on to the book now because it feels to me like it's a sort of coming together of all these different influences into a really rich soup basically, into a great stock um, uh, without the bone broth. And <laughs> I found it really inspiring. So will you, will you just take us through the, the different sections so everybody gets a sort of clear picture? And then in a bit, um, maybe we could start chatting about recipes. But also in autumn, sort of middle of autumn, this will be going out. I know your book comes out at the end of September. This will be out sort of early to mid-October. What are the things that you're thinking of sowing and growing now? You know, that's a, a really nice to sort of land it for people and to get them out with their trowel. Yeah, well, I think um, sort of winter salads really is, a, is is key for this time of year. So all of the kind of Asian greens and things, salad mixes are, are a good one. Things like lamb's lettuce and yeah, winter winter mixes. I think that's kind of now... You've missed, we've missed the boat with quite a lot of other stuff. So I would, I would go for those. If you're growing on a, on a windowsill, you can still be doing things like micro, micro greens, micro cresses, which again was a big sort of influence from, from the manoir days. So things like um, red cabbage, pak choy, coriander, um, Greek cress, lots of lovely varieties of micro greens. And, and micro greens are essentially just the seedling leaves, um, little shoots of, of any herb or uh, lots of different vegetables you can grow on a windowsill. If you haven't got even got much light, they, they still grow quite well. So yeah, that's something you could be doing if you've got very little space. And with those, are you literally taking one crop and then on the compost heap and starting again? Well, so with um, something like pea shoots, you can get a couple of cuts, so they're good. With the with the micro greens, um, I normally allow them to sort of reach second leaf stage, really, so you get a little bit more bang for your buck. But yeah, I mean that's the downside is that you do get one cut. But actually, I use I keep the same compost in there because it will support a few sowings. Just scrape off the top after I've cut them, cropped them, and then just replenish them with more compost I think you know if you've got a, a nice big garden or you know a balcony or you know you might not think it's necessary to grow something like that because you've got space yeah. to do other things and and there you know it's it's a lot of seed and like you say you you know you get one one crop from them but if you've not got any space it's a really nutritious really tasty thing that you can grow on a windowsill yeah. very easily so you know I think um, there's definite bonuses to them and they have so much flavour. I mean, I you know, they're they're more than a garnish, really. They they do really pack the flavour and nutrition into something really tiny. So, so that's good. But going back to your um, question about sort of September October, I think you know, getting good 
getting some compost down, starting to clear the decks, clear the sort of the the, the end of summer crops away, and 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 really starting to make your soil good, um, giving it a covering for the winter, so it's not battered by the rain and um, is a really good thing to be doing. So whether that's, you know, well-rotted manure, your homemade compost, green waste, mushroom compost, whatever you have access to locally, you know, getting a good mulch down is, is kind of key that time of year as well, really, because we all, we know it all starts with the soil. So it's good to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So harvesting now in the middle of October, what, what are your as well as sort of sowing plans, but what are your actual harvesting things? And then maybe we could move on to thinking about what you might do with them in the kitchen. So, I mean, winter squashes are one of my favourite crops, actually. So delicata squashes are delicious. Some of the, even the little jackby little pumpkins, if you've got a small space, they actually have a surprising amount of flavour in them. There's another one from Real Seeds that I've I've really fallen in love with called Uti Indian, um, which is a lovely winter squash. So I just find them so joyful that, that this time of year, you know, sort of in the gloom, you spot these these beautiful yeah. colours sort of hiding under under the foliage. So they're yeah. pretty magical to be to be harvesting. And then the leafy greens sort of come into their own, you know, the the kales and the chards and I think you know they get a bit battered by the the summer heat, but um, yeah. but but you know as you move into autumn they can be really lush. So yeah, the Calvillo Neros, the red Russian kales, flamingo chard, um, you know all those just some some really bright colours, and they and they're things that do actually look lovely in pots as well. Mm. So you know if you've got some lovely Calvillo Nero with some French. Uh, tagetes French marigolds sort of planted underneath those sort of the orange and the greens you know work really well together so mm. and then calendula goes on you know into the into the autumn as well as a nice flower to sort of interplant with so yeah I think there there's some sort of some good autumnal crops I mean beetroot still holds well into the autumn um all the different lovely different colored beets chiogias the stripy beets and the golden beets so um i actually love autumn feels like i think i'm I'm an october baby so i think i've always had an affinity with october um okay. i just I, I love this time of year yeah it's interesting arthur's actually an october baby and he's his favorite season is is the autumn i was born in february which is a grim time but my, i think my favorite season is definitely spring <laughs> <laughs> but um going back to the edible flowers i mean having looked at the book one of the things that you talk quite a lot about is how to use nasturtiums in the kitchen. And I wondered if you'd just chat us through a couple of those recipes, which I could then put in the fact sheet, which we do uh, when the podcast goes out, we have it on the website and I'd love to put a few of your recipes in. So will you just chat us through that? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, so I'm not, I'm not a trained chef or anything like that. I'm just a, you know, I just love to cook at home. So, but yeah, I've sort of found uses for, for things like, nasturtiums because there's just always so many yes. of them <laughs> just everywhere so um with with the nasturtiums there's a butter a recipe for a nasturtium butter in the book which is again you know herb butters are, are just really a great way of using up herbs or flowers so I normally gather as many as many pests I think in the book the recipes for 40 40 heads of nasturtiums but um you know whatever you've got to hand chop them up a bit of garlic squeeze of lemon and if the butter's nice and soft, you can sort of mush it all together and then put it in some parchment and roll it 
and pop that in the fridge or or in the freezer and you have this lovely log of of nasturtium butter which you know in the autumn when you want to sort of bring a bit more cheer to your plates you, you've still got that sort of summer you captured that summer feeling and that's lovely with um with fish or I mean you can use it you know just with bread and, and nasturtium butter is lovely you know you can use it in lots of different ways yeah so that's one and then it's not a recipe that I've invented but but poor man's yeah. capers so that the nasturtium buds yeah. that you find before they sort of start going a bit nasty and brown you can pick sort of the, the greener seeds the actual seeds themselves and then you yeah you just brine them and and then put them into vinegar to preserve them and they're they're very much like you get that same sort of acidic hit that you get with a caper and you can you can use them in the same way that you would use capers really so yeah so they're they're nice sort of recipes that you can because you you do just find that you you know you, you you leave some flowers for the bees you know you you pick some for salads but you sort of have an excess with the nasturtiums often so, so I think with the book, with the recipes, I've just tried to include some fun things that, you know, they're not elaborate dishes or anything. They're just little fun things that I've done over the years that will maybe preserve the harvest in some way. So there's things like there's a shrub recipe for, for rhubarb. If you've, yeah. if you, if you may, I'm sure you've, you've done sort of drinking vinegars and things like that, um, yourself, yeah. but, um, yeah, I love, I love that. Yeah. And there's a, there's a green tomato chutney and there's just things that, yeah, for things that you end up with quite a lot of basically, um, just a few, few different tips really. Um, and then also actually some, some more kind of like, uh, there's a calendula balm, um, for, for gardeners, tired gardeners hands. So I use, try and use herbs quite a lot to sort of support my well-being than if I like that word but yeah it, you know it's not just in the culinary sense but um there's yeah. some rosemary bath salts there's things like that so few different few different ideas well thank you Anna so much um I mean that's been a really lovely taster that I tell you that there is so much in this book and I'm going to be giving it to Christmas for quite a few people because it's very enabling it holds your hand in the right sort of way, not in a patronizing sort of oversimplistic way, but in it does explain everything in, in with real care, but also with delight and with really deep knowledge rather than glossing things over. I feel like you've got deep trenches, but you're you're explaining it incredibly adeptly. So great congratulations and I hope it does incredibly well. And thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Sarah. It's been really lovely chatting to you. Thanks very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Next week, we're going to be talking about pelargoniums. And as autumn carries on and colour decreases, oh my golly gosh am I pleased I've got plenty of pelargoniums here and I know Arthur is a new convert so we thought it'd be a good thing to chat about as we go into autumn see you then you can find more information photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahoven.com.